Welcome to Design Bubble, your all-inclusive bubble for everything design. My name is Samaya Abdullah. I'm one of your hosts for today. Joining me is my co-host, Linwa Nguyen. In this episode, we meet with the unbelievable design leaders, Heather Winkle and Jason Farrell. Heather is McAfee's chief design officer, bringing a human-centered approach to the tools and services that keep people safe in our ever-expanding digital world. Jason is the head of design for the lines of business at Capital One, known for prioritizing associate development, human-centered design principles, and successful customer outcomes. While Heather and Jason are both design leaders at notable companies, their reputation as authentic, strong leaders reaches far beyond their workplaces. Without further ado, let's pop right in. All right, so you guys are both executive design leaders and industry leaders. I'm curious, how do you define and identify your purpose as a designer? I've always felt that I'm someone who brings people together with really cool ideas and technology to create something better for how people exist in the world. Yeah, I would say I'm a researcher at heart and I've always in my life can remember being just curious about what makes people tick and why they do what they do and how things work. And so that curiosity kind of became a career in design for me. And, and generally just solving problems. Like I, I find I can geek out on any topic really when I kind of get into it. I think that curiosity, when it's triggered, it kind of doesn't matter what it is. And uh, similarly to Heather's point, like I generally get a lot of energy around doing that with people versus on my own. Love that. I think curiosity is such a unifying point that we tend to all have as designers. It's true that one of the things that I think makes design a really unique kind of career is that it really requires you to set your ego aside and tap into your curiosity. I mean, you can use your own human experience to you know, help create what you're creating, but if you're focused on that and you have blinders on, you're not actually doing the job that needs to be done. So being curious is really at the heart of it. Is there anything you can expand on, like, how did you come to that purpose? You kind of said it really succinctly, and um, you clearly know, you know, what that tagline is, but what steps did you take to learn more about yourself? Well, it was probably a 30 to 40 year evolution of understanding that. Um, from the time I was really young, I always made things. I sewed, I built models, I built very elaborate forts in the woods. Um, and, <laughs> and that turned into studying architecture, which turned into studying industrial design, which turned into studying human factors and psychology, which turned into translating that into technology and doing that in big companies where you worked with a lot of people and a lot of considerations. And so just having to be really open to signals around you, to explore lots of different avenues, but ultimately having to pull it together and make sense of it. 
And not just doing that for yourself, but really bringing teammates along for that ride or following them on the thread that they're pulling. Every job I had in, you know, different environments with different people going after different products just added to this tapestry that became, you know, this, this whole career I've had. And so now looking back, I have a lot of clarity, but I could not have articulated this probably along the way. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's only with time that I think I've been able to see that. I've always been a writer uh, and love writing stories. In fact, I was just telling my kids because it was about their age the first time I wrote like my first book. And somehow we were able to actually like bind it. And and another kid in class was the illustrator and I was the writer. And I was just so proud of that thing. And so one of my creative outlet was, was always through writing. And then that turned into journalism. And I thought I was going to be a journalist and ended up going more of the business route because I was also always very entrepreneurial. Um, I was always finding ways to sell things and businesses to make. I loved earning money, like doing things like cutting grass and helping my grandfather and, and opening us my savings account. Like he was so proud of me after he opened our first savings account when I was maybe 16. And I, I was kind of like, hey, respectfully, I, I don't think they're giving the best interest rate. And I've called around to all of these other banks and I'd like to move it to this other one. And that he was just beside himself, came and picked me up and, and took me to the other bank. So it was like sort of the blend of that entrepreneurial vibe and writing that sort of became some of the paths that I followed. I didn't really map out my career or have great intention that, oh, I hope one day this is the role that I have. I just kind of followed the things that I was eager to experiment with, and it sort of led to this. That's so, uh, first of all, how did I never know this, Jason? And (laughs) second of all, that is such an important element, I think, for anybody who is in design or pursuing design and thinking about where they want to go with it. I don't think you could ever really anticipate where where you're going to go. You can kind of have a sense of why you do what you do, but looking for what's out there and what might be interesting, that's always how I found my next jobs. It was never like, what's the better title? It was always, what's the most interesting thing I can be doing? And you can look at resumes and see how they kind of go forward, sideways, diagonal, loop back around. And that's great because it's such a it's such an interesting way to add to your toolkit and stay full of energy for what you're really doing. I love that. Such great advice for how to think about, you know, finding your purpose, just pursuing that passion. So you're both executive leaders. But I imagine at some point you started as individual contributors and worked your way up. So what was that transition like going from being an individual contributor to being a people leader to being an organizational leader? Uh, challenging uh, is maybe where I would would start. And probably the more challenging transition is what you're describing as an organizational leader. I think now looking back on it, I would have loved to been more prepared for that change. I think the change from IC to people leader, where you're still working in the same team, you're still doing the work with uh, the folks around you, like that was more natural for me. 
the transition to organizational leader where now your portfolio is much broader, your setting conditions for teams to operate in was one that, again, now looking back on it, I, I see sort of what the, the needs are, but at the time it maybe wasn't that clear. So I'm sure it made it a little bumpier for all of us. But you know, now the role really is about, I think, creating like the systems and structures of how companies operate, how systems operate and ensuring that those conditions enable design to maximize its contributions, enable the human perspective and the problem being solved to be at the center of how everyone, every function thinks about what it's doing. And uh, there's a litmus test that I put on the efforts that I expend my energy on is like, is, will this endure past me? Will it endure past this time frame or this problem space? Because if it doesn't have those types of qualities, then it's not the depth of leadership that I think is required for us at, at this stage. Yeah, I can definitely, that resonates with me, Jason. If I think back to when I really first shifted from being a contributor to being just a very junior people manager, it was at such a small scale and it was very organic and it was still half doing work, half being a new manager. Um, but especially in design, I think there's a real lack of developing people managers as you're simultaneously still being a designer. I've seen that everywhere. It's almost like you just kind of should design your, your way of being a manager. And that's how I felt from the beginning. And having to learn how to translate requirements, not just for yourself, but actually turn them into something other people could understand and activate on, that was a really new skill. Delegation or reframing, translating for someone, setting expectations, and then not being deeply engaged in the actual work product, that's a real shift, especially in design where you're used to being in there, rolled up your sleeves, crafting. So that was, I think, the hardest shift early on for me. Later, it was how to continue being a designer, but pointing the skills at something like an organization, like the systems Jason's describing, especially at a large scale. When you find yourself having hundreds of people in your organization and navigating a large corporation with matrixed structures and lots of different ways of working, that is a whole new design challenge. And ultimately, I think anybody who finds themselves wanting to go to that level or in that level, <laughs> whether they've expected to be there or not, really needs to ask, is this the kind of design challenge I want to do and I'm prepared to do? Because it is truly still designing, but it, it, the nature of the work is so fundamentally different and has a very different impact. That is something I haven't thought about. And it's interesting because, like, back in my high school days and stuff, they, like, made me read leadership books whenever I would join, like, organizations and stuff like that. And it always talked more about the personal aspect of being a leader and like the empathy that you have to build within your like team's organization. So we're going to shift over a little bit to that. I'm curious because both of you are incredible leaders. You guys have very different like leadership styles, but at the end of the day, you're both 
very authentic and true to yourself. So, question is, how do you bring your full authentic self to work without sacrificing your reputation as a great leader? Well, I think the most important thing to say up front is they shouldn't be mutually exclusive. <laughs> um, and if you find yourself feeling like you can't be yourself and still be the leader you want to be, you have to ask if you're in the right place. One of the things that I struggled with as a, as a leader of a large organization was really how open I could be. And I really made an effort to share a lot of myself as a way of showing other people that they could be authentic, they could be open and that I was, I was willing to be vulnerable and model that you don't have to be perfect. <laughs> you know, you're finding your way through and, you know, being a, a mom and, you know, struggling with how to just keep my household going while also having a really intense job. That's a real challenge. But I just shared that because, you know, we're all human and I think it helps people relate and feel more comfortable and like they don't have to be perfect. There are going to be people who are linking arms and going with them for the journey. Yeah, I, I totally agree with the being mindful of uh, any inkling you have that you can't be your authentic self and be a great leader. You know, there's a lot that's been written about the effectiveness of vulnerability in a leadership position and how that creates conditions for for teams to build trust and to feel like uh, they can be themselves. I think a lot of times that can tend to be heard as like some very deep revealing of like who we are as humans. And there's, there's a role for that. Like, I think, you know, there is the version where like you should feel you know comfortable kind of going there if, if you want. But then there's the, also the version of just saying like, I don't know, like the impact of being on stage in front of teams of hundreds of people and getting asked a question and saying, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. Like that has its own massive impact that I don't think I was ever really expecting, but have experienced on numerous occasions, you know, and, and for me, what I find in those moments is like, that's just what my instinct, my instinctual answer to that question is, is I don't know. And so I'm just being honest about it. And I think, a lot of times, perhaps the training and socialization uh, and what we observe is that leaders are always perfect and leaders always have the answer to the extent we have in the back of our minds that like that's the model and that's the profile. Really, what we're doing is like we were conditioned away from our core humanity there, you know, and it's just, again, being really aware of when you're doing something because this is what you think you should do versus just like letting yourself be is it can be very impactful. I've always found those are the moments you know, when you've engaged with a group of people and somebody's asked the question and maybe you've said, hmm, I'm not sure or I'd love to hear what you think. Those are moments that really offer connection and idea sharing and keep people both feeling, you know, that you can be vulnerable and imperfect and that you're part of something bigger that's not just being declared by any one person. Because that's how teams have to work and have to function to be great. 
I love that. That's what I love about y'all. Like, you guys don't feel like the superior leader above everybody else. You're always very personable and easy to talk to, hence this episode. But I'm curious, could you tell us a story if you've already, like, shown too much vulnerability and then you've had to, like, kind of backstep? What does that look like? I wouldn't even know what to do if I was in that position. That's why I'm asking. I can't think of a time that I could describe that way. What I would offer to that, and if we just kind of play out the scenarios that we're describing around like, hey, we're entering uncharted territory together. There's the sort of inspirational, purpose-driven aspect of, I don't know how we're going to make it all work or how we'll get there, but we'll figure it out. I think it's the we'll figure it out part that you need to remember is part of your role as a leader. Like, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know the answer to that. But what do you think? This is how I think we're going to tackle it. This is the next step that we'll take. Like, I think a, a version of this that plays out with just kind of like some sort of stops with the I don't know, like has a risk of actually eroding trust over time. So the the march on, so to speak, you know, that's what people will get behind. And so it's just kind of instilling confidence that, you know, we'll make it and we'll get there together is what I think you need to pair that with as a leader. I listened to your question and immediately thought about the work my executive coach and I were doing together. One of the things that he likes to remind me is everything is an opportunity to learn. And so if you find yourself in a place where you're like, "Uh uh-oh, well, that was a step for 20 too far. What are you going to learn from it? Just be humble. Take the feedback learn, listen, decide what you're going to take forward to understand, do better next time, try something different next time. But like anything, you can't go back and change it. So what matters is is how you grow and move forward with it. You mentioned your coach. I think you said executive coach. And that makes me curious about the idea of mentorship throughout each of your career journeys and if that's been part of your journey, just what mentorship means to you and how important you think it is. I think it's so important to look for mentorship. I also think it's really critical that when you find someone who feels like a mentor, you actually maybe make that explicit with them. I mean, it's fine to just observe and learn and draw insights, but you'll get so much more out of it if you can actually talk to the person, tell them what you admire or what you're trying to learn and how you're trying to grow, um, because that will probably give them the opportunity to unlock, share more, or not wonder why, you know, this person is sending them email and setting up meetings. It's like making it intentional, I think, actually gives a lot to both people because the mentors grow from that experience, too. Yeah, I agree with that. And for me, it was the part of my career where I started to have more access to a network whether it's coaches or more accessibility of senior leaders to mentor me, I feel like was a big unlock. And and I think the intentionality associated with that was a big part of it. The, you know, the ability for someone who 
is very seasoned, who understands, generally understands your context, but isn't seeped in the details. Like the perspective that they can offer has just been super valuable for me. And it, it goes back to this mindset, this growth mindset that Heather alluded to in, in terms of like, what can you learn from it? I remember when I was interviewing potential coaches years ago, I asked each of them like something to the effect of like, how do I make the most out of having this opportunity or something? And, and the one that I ended up selecting had a really, really impactful answer around a growth mindset and how like at the core, if that's not what you bring to this relationship, then it won't be as impactful as it can be. That all takes intention and you've got to recognize that you need that recognize how to leverage it, like what's underneath some of the things that you might be nervous about, anxious about, bothering you and writing them down and putting them all out there so that they're talked about and not feeling like the help that you get from this ecosystem of support is a bad thing because it's not. It's only going to make you stronger and, and better. I'm thinking back to interviewing my first executive coach who I ended up working with for over five years because I interviewed a handful of people and I remember there being one person who I was like, oh my God, we're like totally vibing and like, this is going to be great. And then there was the other coach who I was like kind of tense and feeling you know, a little stuck and challenged by, and she's the one I ended up going with because I was just like, I should probably put myself in that uncomfortable space, not the person who feels just like me. And it was an incredible relationship. I mean, she and I developed together in amazing ways. I love that, the intentionality and maybe putting yourself in a position where you're not as comfortable, but you know it's going to make you grow. It's such a good reminder. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to end off with this question. What is one thing you know now at the executive level that you would teach your younger self? I think especially in a job, sometimes we get really fixated on more more money, more responsibility, more things. It feels like that's a little bit of the cultural or you know, societal expectation, right, as you climb. For me, climbing wasn't actually what was making me the happiest. So I would really think about growing more than climbing, because you can grow in lots of directions and it might just be a deepening. It might be a focusing. It might be an expanding. But that's what you really have to tap into. Because at the end of the day, you're here for a very short amount of time on the planet. And you have to be true to what is going to make you happy and feel like you're living the life you were meant to live. Yeah, I would say... Being more open to the progression of your career being organic, like following your passions, having a sense for what it is you love to do and the contributions you think you can make, like that you have to have at the core, but how that manifests doesn't need to be so prescriptive. I totally agree in, with Heather's assessment that in a corporate context, there are sort of these norms about what success is, and I think if that intersects with your own personal values fantastic but if it doesn't that's okay too spending the time knowing what motivates you knowing what your own values are and then staying true to that and being open to what happens around you is a way of operating 
that I think results in being perhaps more fulfilled than this sort of prescriptive, this is what I'm doing, this is what I should do. And that's really ingrained in us. Like I think a lot now as a parent about how for kids, like the path is so prescribed in school and undergrad and grad and like, you know, these steps are laid out. That's not meant for everyone. But diverting off of that path can also be really, really risky or perceived to be risky. So I think the sooner that you understand who you are and your values, the better chance you have of kind of charting your own path and it not feeling like you're doing something wrong. So pointing that curiosity back at yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed today's episode about what it takes to be an organizational leader in the design field. Join us next time where we'll be chatting with Haley Guilfoyle about what it's like to transition in and out of UX while staying within the creative field. If you'd like to stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Design Bubble Podcast. Thanks for popping in.